listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Rexa, what a pass to Anders. McCain follows. Doyle Branch fires, he converts. Rhymes again. Tough shot. Pull up three in transition for Angela Harris. Jerome says not tonight, not in Houston. What's up and welcome to another episode of Pod Slammer Jamma presented by Apollo Media. It's all Houston, all original. I'm one of your hosts, Dayan Dunlap. I've been covering UH sports for since 2016. Over the past season, I became the color commentary for all women's Houston basketball home games. I before that, I was doing some play-by-play for uscougars.com for the women's basketball. And once they got the deal with ESPN Plus, I started doing the color commentary. So I've been doing that for a while as well. And Cougar alumni been also do a lot of play-by-play for Texan Live and Vibe around the Houston area. You can find me on Twitter at Dayon Dunlap. It's at D-A-Y-O-N-D-U-N-L-A-P. And I'm joined by my co-host. I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, Dayon. My name is Andy Yannis. You can follow me on Twitter at Ayanis underscore five. I've been covering UH Athletics since 2019, the past two seasons for, uh, for the Daily Cougar. And this upcoming season, or I guess can't even call it upcoming, this current season for Apollo Media. Also, be sure to check out my work at the Community Impact Newspaper. And obviously our work here at Apollo Media, follow it on Twitter at Apollo H-O-U for blogs, podcasts, merch, really all sorts of things on the Astros, Rockets, even Texans, of course, we're doing our thing here for the University of Houston. Be sure to check out our game day coverage. We have you covered all day game days from previews to post-game reaction, analysis, and of course, our podcast and speaking of podcasts, Pod Simon Jam, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. We have a high compact show today as the Houston Cougars get ready to take on the Grambling Tigers coming out of the swag. And as we get ready to preview that game, we're going to start on the offensive side of things today, um, primarily with Houston. And they're coming off a, a very impressive performance with all eyes, of course, was on quarterback Clayton Tunin. He got kind of banged up against Rice after a long um, first down run against Rice. And so anxious to see if he can put back-to-back good performances out there, not only to build his confidence, but to continue to gain confidence from the fan base and throughout the entire team. For sure. And I remember going back to our preview episode last week when we did it uh, ahead of the game against Rice. You mentioned how, like you said, all eyes would be on tune and we were really going to see what he was made of in terms of being able to handle the noise, handle all the pressure, all the criticism that he garnered after that performance. And really that second half, second half collapse, not just on tune, but the entire UH offense as a whole in that opening week game against Texas Tech. But you mentioned it, Clayton Tune honestly couldn't have 
put much better of a performance against Rice. He had threw for over 230 yards, had two touchdowns, had this big run, which ultimately ended up to him getting a little bit banged up uh, it, from where our perspective kind of looked like it might have been some kind of hamstring injury or something like that. But the university never specified what it was. He did receive a lot of treatment after it, after the game and even during the week. But of course, uh, Dana Hogerson during his availability on Monday said that Toon will be fine. Day on, I know, Grambling, this is an opponent that the Cougars should be expected to win to beat them and beat them by a lot like we saw against Rice. And Dayon, you see this as a possible opportunity for UH to you know, give Clayton Toon some chance to rest, but also give an opportunity to someone else at that quarterback position. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, for sure. And we talked about it last week. I thought if Houston got up big, it would be a chance for some of the different quarterbacks to get some playing time. And I think that opportunity will present itself again this week. And also taking into account, account if Clayton Toon is it 100% healthy will or could this possibility be a, a good week to rest him and get some of those backups we saw um, Ike, Ike Agbogdu um, get some playing time and so some of those other quarterbacks so you got some young guys as well who might have an opportunity to get some so I think it's a it's an interesting position for coach Dana Hogerson it'll be good for Clayton to play if he's healthy just to continue to get a rhythm and continue to build that confidence with some of these new receivers and a new offensive line and an entire skill position group but if he isn't healthy would it I think it would be smart and beneficial not only to Clayton, but the team to get um, some reps for some of the other guys. Um, what, what, would you agree with that? What would you say? For sure. I agree, especially if Clayton Toon isn't 100% healthy. And like we mentioned it from our perspective, it kind of seemed like he had tweaked something in that hamstring or something in that general lower leg area where, of course, when you think about those injuries, they can uh, oftentimes be nagging ones that linger throughout the season. Obviously, with the game against Grambling not being uh, not expected to be a tough matchup, at least on paper, it's something that it's certainly a viable option, especially with this being one of the final non-conference games before that the meat and bones of the conference schedule start. They got Navy after this game. And they have their entire conference schedule up until the final game of the season against UConn. So this might be an interesting opportunity. We'll see what UH does. But again, like Dana Hogerson said on Monday, he expects, he said that Tune is fine. So it'll be interesting to see as we get closer to the game, if Tune does indeed play. But I want to transition over from the quarterback position to one of the other players that had a bit of a breakout game against Rice this past Saturday, and that was, of course, running back Alton McCaskill, who scored three touchdowns in the win, two rushing, caught another one, and ended up having over 90 scrimmage yards in that game. And obviously, Dana Hogerson had a lot of praise for him after the game on Saturday, and he followed that up this past Monday. And I quote, he's talking about Alton McCaskill, uh, Begin quote, he said, there's nothing he can't do. He did not look like a freshman to me at all. We felt like he was our best option in the passing game. He was our go-to guy. I think he's going to turn into a feature back and a complete back. And quote, that was, once again, UH head coach Dana Hogerson on freshman Alton McGaskill. 
Dayon, you and I saw his performance against Rice, and he, that's something he reiterated after the game, that he felt that really this is something he had seen from McCaskill all training camp. And he he kind of, from the, what Dana Horson has described, he I could expect him to see a lot more of an expanded role in the coming against Grambling and as the conference schedule begins with Sayu. Now, for sure. I think it's another good opportunity to get him a lot of snaps against an opponent that you expect to pretty much um, handle. Um, and so, I mean, what I saw from Alton um, against Rice, it was quite impressive. One thing I look for with in running backs is can they make that first man miss? Sometimes it, it, the offensive line does a good job initially. Then that first guy is is um, sometimes noted as the running back. It's got for him to make him miss. And he was able to make people miss inside the hole and show his elusiveness. He's a tall running back and more of a complete back. And so I agree with Coach Horwood saying I, I think he can develop to be a three-down back and really be um, something that UH hasn't really had in a while as far as a, a really good running back. To not to take anything account from some of the previous guys because they do have a lot of good talent. I really like Mo Bacar. He has talent. But I meant from a guy who is young as a freshman and has ability to grow into that position and kind of be a household name um, during his tenure at UH. And since I've been here, they haven't really had someone who's who's had that. And so I think that opportunity um, presents himself with Alton. I think the schedule is favorable from him. I think he has another big game and his first home game inside TDECU Stadium. And so I know he's chomping at the bit to play in some in front of those home fans. But the balance, I, I like what I saw from the balance, not only from the offense, but particularly the running back, showing his versatility to catch the ball out of the backfield because – and Dana Hogerson's air raid system, the running back is going to get some of those opportunities. And with Tejan Henry out, um, Alton had that opportunity to, to be play some of that um, third down role in which Coach Hogerson said that Tejan Henry is more of that mode as far as with the way that they use him. So I really like what I've seen from him. I, I think these next couple of weeks, they'll continue to feed him and feature him um, as the schedule continues to go on and they get inside the meat of the conference. Because as we look at the conference and when UH going into the Big 12, they're going to start getting the best shot from all of these teams, especially teams in the American. I'm, I'm assuming that they're looking at UH like a Big 12 school and they're looking at it as an opportunity to prove themselves as, hey, we could beat not only a, a potential, uh, well, a Big 12 school, but we can beat Houston. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. And that's a great point. And honestly, that's something that I hadn't thought of since uh, since the announcement that the UH was going to join the Big 12 last Friday. But absolutely, you look at some of the conference schedule, some of the teams that they're going to be playing in their conference. SMU is one of those big names. They already have the interstate rivalry factory. But, you know, there could be one of those schools that feel left out that the Big 12 didn't send an invitation. Obviously, Memphis, of course, one of those other schools that they probably feel like they should be in one of those Power 5 schools that's learning. They're going to be making a push to get into it with the certain recent, most recent rounds of realignment. But I wanted to go back to the running backs real quick. You mentioned McCaskill has the opportunity to kind of be a featured back that the UH hasn't really had, at least during Dana Hogerson's tenure here. You mentioned Mobile Car, who he's been here for six seasons, but 
honestly, it looks like he's struggled a little bit under the, at least the past two seasons. Obviously, a big part of that has been just injuries where he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And McCaskill, a freshman, a lot more fresh legs, a lot more opportunities for UH to be able to feature him. And then win against Rice, UH had three different running backs take ball take the ball out of the backfield with Carr, McCaskill, and Chandler Smith. And both Smith and McCaskill scored touchdowns. And then they also had Clayton Toon and Ike Akbagu have a couple of scrambling opportunities in that game too. But then you mentioned another player like Marcus Jones, who has shown that UH is going to use him really. He's kind of like their, their Swiss Army knife where he's versatile in everything, especially in that game against Rice. They saw him playing wide receiver a lot, but he can be one, another player that yep. comes out of the backfield and they use him in multiple multitude way of ways. But... I kind of want to transition into what is you can kind of describe it as a youth movement, but even when you look at receivers and really who is obviously tunes, number one target against rise was Nathaniel Dell, who is, is his second year of the program. But of course, because of COVID, he's still considered a freshman in the COVID year that it was last year. But then you look at Kashawn Carter, and some of these names, obviously, they're not all young when you look at transfers or players that they've been under who might have played last year, like Christian Trahan. And, of course, Seth Green has been a player that they have been high on for the past uh, since training camp started. But when you look around all these names, really, it's a lot a lot of different new names when you look at McCaskill, Dell, Carter. But as you at least from that Rice game, it seems like Toon was able to get a lot more of a rhythm with those targets. I mean, I mean, look, I'm looking down the list from Saturday's performance against Rice and Tune. There were about four, five to six different receivers that had multiple targets from Tune. And going back to that loss to Texas Tech, that was something that Dana Holgerson was keen on. A criticism that he gave to Clayton Tune was he had to do a much better job of distributing the ball to not only one target, but to a lot of the different other options. And that's something that Tune was able to do a lot better against Rice. And of course, we mentioned it. His status might still be a little bit up in the air just in terms of after the injury he sustained. But I think regardless of whoever's playing quarterback, that's something that should be uh, a point of emphasis to not just lock in on one target. I guess we mentioned it. There isn't necessarily that one receiver that's, you know, filling in terms of experience, senior leadership after Mark West Stevenson left. A lot of these guys are early in their college careers and really there's an opportunity for one player to rise above the rest. But really, a lot of them are still in the same level. What say you? No, I agree. And I, I echo everything you said. And like, if you look at the, a couple of receivers, Marquez Stevenson, Stephen Dunbar, that was some of like the number one receivers. And without a doubt, Tank is the number one receiver. But I'm looking forward, just like Coach Hogerson, and like you mentioned, other receivers to step up. They targeted Marcus Jones a lot. And I, I actually like that wrinkle. If you have someone who is a huge threat with the ball in his hands, get him out in space and use his God-given talent to make plays. But got other players like Jeremy Singleton on the outside who um, hasn't really got going I'm sure that he would like and he talked about he was very candid and he thought about leaving the program and he decided not to leave the program. And, and some of the way that they use Marcus Jones, I think it was a way that they used Bryson Smith in years past. And with him not being with the team anymore, uh, I mean, I, I like the way they use Marcus Jones, but it's a plethora of receivers 
that they've been able to recruit. They just haven't really um, made themselves known on Saturdays yet. You got Keandre Street, who came over from, from John Tyler. Mm-hmm. You got um, Gidry, who came over from Shadow Creek, CJ Gidry. And you mentioned Carter as well, and he's yet to really see him going. And he, he really feels like he's a big play waiting to happen. So I think the talent is there. It's just about gaining the trust from the coaching staff and building that chemistry because – I mean, I know we if we can see that Houston is featuring Tank the way that they are, in which you teams are going to feature their best player, the number one receiver, but someone has to step up on the outside. I feel like the second go-to re- receiver, from what I've seen, is the tight end, Tri- um, Christian Trahan, or then Seth Green. And so I definitely going to need another receiver to step up on that outside. Oh, can it be another player to scheme? Because – and this air raid offense, I mean, you normally throw the ball over the yard. So is it an indictment of the quarterback? Is it an, an indictment on the receivers? I really don't know exactly. Can't put my finger on it. But I feel like the talent is there. Everyone who plays football at this level has the talent. Just about putting it all together. I'm sure understanding the playbook and a lot of different things that go into it. But Going forward, keeping an eye on which other receiver can make those plays or whether it be running back. Can it be Alton? We just talked about him and raved about him. What other player outside of Tank can kind of help um, this offense continue to evolve as the season goes on? For sure. And real quickly, before we kind of transition over to the second segment, where we'll talk a little bit more about the defense, uh, specifically talking this matchup against Grambling, what do you feel like, regardless of who's at center quarterback, whether it's Clayton Toon or someone else, what should this offense's point of emphasis be? Obviously, something that has been asked to not only Dana Horrison, but they asked to Doug Belk and some of the players that were made available. It's Grambling. It's an opponent that they should put away and should put them away relatively early, kind of like they did against Rice. What will you be watching for this upcoming Saturday, specifically regarding the offense? Uh, my eyes are always in the trenches, the offensive line. Can they protect Tune or whoever the quarterback is, keep them clean enough to allow them to throw the ball to some of these playmakers like we mentioned? So my eyes always go up front in the trenches to the offensive lines, particularly we're talking offense now. And then not only that, can they control the line of scrimmage to get that running game going? Because UH hasn't had 100 um, yard rusher yet this season. And I, I mean, Texas Tech, I don't view them as a team that's just a huge run stopping team. And neither do I do Rice because before they play UH, we talked about how they gave up 200 yard rushers. So I think um, keeping my eyes on up front, the line, can they control the line of scrimmage? And when you build those big leads, especially going forward, not only this season, but Looking ahead in the Big 12, when you get those leads, you need a running back and an offensive line sometimes to chew their clock to not allow some of these high-power offense you're going to face. And it's particularly coming up in a couple of weeks, some of the high-power offense you're going to face is Tulane at Tulane. And we saw how they went neck and neck with Oklahoma in Norman. So I think the offensive line is what I'm going to keep my eye on because running the ball is going to be vital um, going forward here in this season. What about you? Yeah, I think O-line, especially after the first two games has been a position, uh, a kind of a position that Dana Horton himself has criticized. I know even this upcoming week, he said, you know, it should get better every week if they're practicing the right, the right way. But that's something after the first two games, he's had a bit of 
criticism I, I know against Texas Tech he said that in the second half it was completely different he felt he said he felt like Toon didn't necessarily have enough time against Texas Tech in that second half he kind of said a similar thing after the Rice game obviously a much better performance but in that second quarter when UH was only able to run 10 offensive snaps in that period and they they ended up having I believe it was like three total yards of offense for a quarter, which is absurd. I asked Hogerson about that after the game, and he said that obviously he said that it wasn't on clean two fall. He said that was just the offensive line that forgot to block at times. So that's certainly been a position of focus, not only for Dana Hogerson, but something that they feel probably can get better. And like you mentioned, it affects so much, not only in pass protection for Toon or whoever is under center, but even in the running game, obviously you mentioned that, they want McCaskill and, and some of these other backs to get a lot more involved in the game plan. But if the, off, the offensive line isn't blocking correctly or they can't create any gaps to to give those running backs holes, there's going to be a lot of problems. and it'll, it'll make the offense one-dimensional. So I absolutely agree with that assessment. For sure. And the offense, I think, must take another step against Grambling. I, I, I think... Um, this should be a game, in my opinion, where they feature the running game even more, especially once they build that lead. And like we just said, potentially, not only just for the conference, just to get, to get the guys going. Offensive linemen, um, from talking to some and throughout my life and just knowing some, they don't want to pass block all the time. Sometimes they want to put their hand in the dirt and do the hitting, and they have the chance to do that when the offense runs the ball. And so, I can't wait for Saturday. I want to see the offense continue to take a step because the defense has been as a strong suit. And coming up in our next segment, we will talk more in depth about the defense. We have a couple clips as well um, from um, media availability that we'll play as well. And so from the offense, I think this is another week to gain confidence, another week to put together a good performance and gain the continuity that you need to potentially um win American Athletic Conference Championship in your last year in the league. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And we're back here on Pod Slime Jamma, entering the second segment where we'll transition into talking a lot more about the defense. Dayon, entering this upcoming Saturday's game against Grambling State, the UH defense will have committed four turnovers in the first two games. One, obviously, a, a big turnover where they were able to stop Texas Tech inside their own five-yard line from score. They were, they were able to recover a fumble, and then they had three against Rice and being able to intercept their quarterback three times in that win. And that's something that has been a point of emphasis that a lot of these defensive players have said just in terms of even from OTAs in the offseason into training camp. That's something that Doug Belk has emphasized a lot more. They've talked about a whole bunch of drills they've had to do. And we're going to have a clip coming here right now where defensive back R. Green talks about what he's seen, what's changed from this season when compared to last, just regarding the defense. Once again, this is R. Green talking about the changes he's seen in the defense. Well, my question was, from uh, last year to this year, what's the big difference from you from um, just in regards to the defense? Uh, just me in general? Uh, well, the defense as a whole, from your perspective, 
what's the difference between last year and this year? It seems like um, a huge difference from my outside looking in. I would say the intensity and the togetherness we play with. Um, I think a huge thing is we're playing, we're playing together. We're playing for the brother next to us. It's 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 a us thing, and it's um every time we step out out there on the field, we that's that's our work. That's us, and we want to put our name on that, and we come out, and that's third war D right there. Damn, third from that. Oh, my bad. I didn't no, mean to ahead. cut you off. Actually, go ahead, go ahead. You, you kind of said exactly what I was going to say right there with Kamai, RC, that kind of the, the money quote right there, third war defense. But also what he, what he talked about, how it's a lot more of a selfless group where they play for each other. And I found it interesting how he used the word brotherhood to describe just in terms of they're not necessarily it's not an individual group. It's a lot more close knit. And when you talk about who's leading that unit in Doug Belk, and you've heard some of the players talk about how much of a change it's been just from that standpoint of it's a lot more close just in terms of how Doug Belk, honestly, we mentioned with Donovan Mutant mentioned last week in terms of he felt like he could talk a lot more with Belk and just relate to him, not even on, a, on the football field, but just as a person. Do you feel like that's where that big change is just from the leadership standpoint? And also, I mean, just in terms of them being much closer, what can you relate to that? Yeah, no, I, I, you definitely read my mind. And I, I definitely um, credit that to um, the leadership starting with the defensive coordinator, Doug Belk. And when you build that family atmosphere, that brotherhood, that sense of togetherness, I think, I mean, it, it bodes well throughout the team. It's a, it's a trust factor. Like he said, I'm playing for my brother next to me, on side of me. And not only that, you trust him to do his job. He trusts you to do his job. And there's no individualism looking Everyone wants to shine. Let's not get it twisted, but everyone is focused on team success. Another thing that Manny Nunnery said, that he um, he talked about they want to be a top 25 defense throughout the entire nation. And so, like Art just said, when they take the field, that's on us. They want to put good film out there. That way it backs up everything, what they said, and they played it tough, hard-nosed third war D. And I, I really like that moniker that they're going with, um, relentless, tough moniker, um, third war D. I think it bodes well. But I definitely – it starts with the leadership up top, man. Um, Doug, Belk, and when you have a coach like Donovan Mutant mentioned that um, who is not only a good teacher as far as football-wise, but he said that he's good to re removing his coaching hat and relating to players and – once players have that relationship, they feel like, okay, I really, I'll, I'll do whatever for this coach. And I think, and it's the third year. I mean, they've been with um, Dana Hogerson and Doug Buck for these years, and now they're fully kind of being able to integrate the culture that they want to set, the mindset that they want to set, um, the brotherhood, all those different things. And we kind of see it coming to fruition, particularly on the defensive side. And, I mean, with uh, Dana Hogerson being an offensive genius, he is. I mean, one would have figured it would have been on the offensive side first. But I think it started on the defensive end, and they've put together the back-to-back two weeks, um, although they lost the first week, but – I mean, in my opinion, you can't really put that on the defense. I know they could have played better because Doug Bell talked about they haven't really hit their peak yet, but I'm really like what I'm from I'm seeing and what I like from what I'm hearing. They're echoing the same message from the coaching staff, and that's what you see when you hear from some of the top programs like Alabama, like a Georgia, like a Clemson. 
like Oklahoma. And so if Houston wants to continue to build and get better, I think they're going to have to continue to trust the coaching staff and trust one another. Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting where, I, I, honestly, I'm looking over the notes of what Doug Bell said during his availability, and he kind of he repeated the exact same word. He said that UH has been able to create a brotherhood, at least in that defensive unit. They've been able to create a consistent bond. That's something that's been, at least during the first two games of the season, has been able – it's been a difference just in terms of obviously being able to create turnovers, but being a lot more of – a consistent group in terms of play. And we mentioned that for, for the most part in that Texas tech game, they were able to keep them in check. Obviously they had a couple of big plays where they allowed Texas tech to have a couple of chunk plays, but for the most part, even against rice, I mean, they held them to only seven points and really that drive was aided a lot by uh, penalties. The one where they were able to score. But one of the other things that Belk said in terms of what he wishes he wants this defense to look like, he said that he wants them to play with relentless effort, just be physical. That's something that he he felt, at least in the first two games, that they've been able to prove. But that's kind of the identity that he wants his defense to be, be a lot more of a, I guess if you could describe it, kind of grit and grind type of team where, yep, as yep. we mentioned before, they, they want to control not only the tempo and kind of control the game, but also kind of leave opposing teams kind of feeling on the next day where the offensive players is whenever they play UH, they kind of want to be, they want to, they want to make sure the other teams feel them for the next week. Once after they finish playing them with bruises and stuff like that. Right. And then we talked about what our odds would be on in the next game. And we said the trinkers on the offensive line, same thing goes for the defense. And I think the defensive line has been the, um, the strength not only of the defense, but throughout the entire team from Houston. And we've been hearing it for a while as far as some of the guys that they have. Now to see it come from wishing some of these guys and the depth that they have, it's really, really, really impressive to see the number of guys. There really are 10 deep all throughout the entire defensive line. And so it starts in the trenches and their defensive line play has been really just spectacular. I mean, you can't just focus on one guy and uh, I mean, I, I think that group kind of sets the tone and it, it builds confidence throughout everybody on the back end because I think the DBs and the linebackers know, OK, if it's third in an obvious passing situation, now we can rush for and get pressure on the quarterback, knowing that it's an opportunity that they will get home, whether it be a tip pass or um, a strip sack or anything like that. And the defense will have a chance to make a play or they rush the um pressure the quarterback make him get this ball out of his hands quickly and so the defense man I I've really 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 be I've really been really really impressed by what I've seen and so they're playing Gramlin another team who struggled to score a point so far this year and so up the next couple of weeks these next two opponents is a team that's kind of struggled Navy is the opponent that's kind of struggled offensively as well as Tulsa and so I expect the defense to continue their stellar play and really just continue to, to dominate, particularly on the defensive line. Yeah, for sure. And against Rice, we mentioned the three turnovers they were able to, to force on McCaffrey. I mean, they held them to just 86 passing yards for the entire game. And most of those came, or at least a good chunk of them came on just a couple of chunk plays. And Jordan Myers had one play where he had 30 yards after catch, and that's really – um, I, honestly, that accounts for more than a third of the total passing yards that they had 
against Houston in that in that game on Saturday. But I agree, they just have to continue that, be a lot more dominant. And regarding specifically Grambling, who I mean, they're coming off being shut out against Southern Mississippi, so obviously they're going to be motivated to score a lot more. And kind of the message that that was reiterated on Tuesday from Belk to the players that were made available. Yes, it's Grambling. It's an FCS school and. Obviously, Houston will be heavy favorites to win that game, but they've reiterated how it doesn't matter who they're playing next. They, they, a lot, the word they used a lot was respecting, respect your opponent. That's something that not only the players that talk, that talked on Tuesday mentioned, Doug Belk mentioned it, Dana Hogerson mentioned it. So that's a big message that's been shared at least this week in terms of their opponent down, what do you expect to see from this defense? Uh, let's go over under. Do you expect two and a half turnovers? Would you go over or under for Saturday's game against Grambling? I go over. I, I expect at least two turnovers. I expect um, the defense of line to create one, whether it be a strip sack fumble. And I expect, um, the defensive backs or linebackers, whoever the case may be, to catch an interception. And so I, I think um, the defense, I, I'll go over on that. I, I feel like they will create a turnover. And and I like that message, respect your opponents. But not only that, you don't want to play down to the level of your competition. You want to dominate the team that you are supposed to dominate. And good football teams do that. And so I expect for them to come out and look to make a statement early, but I also going to go out on a, not really a limb because we know he's a really good player, but I mean, I'm expecting Marcus Jones to take a punt return to the crib. I think he's going to get a house call. He's going to finally get an opportunity. He hasn't really had opportunities in the first couple of weeks because they've been intentionally punting away from him. I think the defense is going to get a good stop in Grambling's, uh, I mean, Grambling backed up and then going to put Marcus Jones in a good position to get a punt return. I think he's going to get a house call. And so what would you say uh, on the over and under? No, I agree. If I had to bet, I would certainly take the over just in terms of looking how badly that the Gremlin often struggled against Southern Miss. I mean, we mentioned that UH was able to hold Rice to just 86 passing yards. Well, Southern Miss did a similar thing uh, to Gremlin this past Saturday, holding them to just 90 passing yards. And it was complete domination. They only held them to 51 rushing yards for the game. So it was completely lopsided. Not only was it a shutout, but really they were unable to do anything against Southern Miss in that game. And not to take anything away from Southern Miss, but I feel like UH's defenses could be a little bit better this upcoming season. So I feel like, yeah, if I had to pick, I'd go with over two and a half turnovers for the game. And it's an interesting point you brought up about Marcus Jones and how you expect him to score a touchdown, especially when it, regarding special teams. One of the other players that had a big game against Rice was obviously Manny, Manny Nunnery, who won the American Athletic Conference Special Teams Player of the Week. And he spoke to reporters on Tuesday and he talked about how important it was winning that award and how it means a lot to him. What do you expect to see from Manny Nunnery? Obviously, of course, play a linebacker on defense, but playing a key role on special teams. I'm, I'm expecting a breakout game for Manny as well. I think he's going to get uh, a plethora of snaps because the game I'm expecting it to be lopsided, but he gets a lot of playing time anyway. Coach Bell does an outstanding job rotating those linebackers. And one thing I noticed on those third down possession, I mean, third down, when obviously passes situations, I don't know what that 
they call the package, but it's a package where Manny Nunnery gets a chance to rush the quarterback. He comes in at that linebacker spot. Sometimes I saw against Rice, he was in that A gap standing over the guard. And so I'm expecting Manny um, to make an impact on defense this week as well. I mean, we people rave about his raw athleticism. And I got a chance to ask him about who has helped him mentally as far as from in a football from a football perspective because we know the game isn't always about athleticism it's also a mental game as well and he he raved about um the two defensive coaches Doug Bell and his position position coach as well Archie for to Dayon Dunlap Apollo Media Dayon hey what's up Manny what's going on man everybody talks about your um athletic ability kind of just uh, call you a freak as far as what you can do athletically, but who has helped you grow mentally wise as far as from the game of football since you've been FUA, especially transitioning to a linebacker? I could say my uh, my coach, Archie McDaniel, he's been helping me a lot in Coach Bill. I could really say that. But uh, Archie McDaniel, he, uh, he's a very good coach, like I said earlier. He helps me a lot. I mean, just by having him in a room, he makes everything just so easy for me to just understand and just catch on quick. And I feel like since he played the position linebacker at a and at a high level, it's just so easy for me to catch on. Dayon, you asked him that question. I'm curious, what stood out to you from his response? Well, what stood out to me was – Everyone raised about Doug Belk. So Doug Belk and also his position coach, Archie McDaniel. When you have a coach who played their same position at a high level, uh, I feel like players um, listen to those coaches more versus having a coach who who just knows the game but did actually play the game, especially that position. So that stood out to me as well. And then – I know he didn't mention Donovan Mutant in that clip, but people talk about the leadership from Donovan Mutant and Deontay Anderson. He also talked about them during his um, availability, um, Manny did. He said we're just having players in the same room, uh, position group as them, and the amount of snaps they played, he's learned from them as well. So the entire linebacker core as a whole, I, I feel like is in good position. And, I mean, it just goes back to – um, Coach Hogerson kind of getting his guys now and some of those guys um, believing in the message and what he's trying to build. And I think Man- uh, Manny is one of those guys. And I, I look at him kind of in the same boat as Alton, one of the one of the pillars of Houston Cougars football that we're going to talk about, especially going forward when, in the, with the next move coming into um, the Big 12. For sure, and that's going to do it there for our second segment coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma. We'll transition more to an overview perspective. Obviously, it's been a week removed since the Houston announced that they would be joining the Big 12 uh, at, reportedly as soon as 23, with, that's 2023. And we'll look, not only touch a little bit about that news, but also just talk about what the players and coaches are saying about that transition that's coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma, your home. UH Athletics. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston, all original. 
continuing on here on Pod Slam, a jam presented by Apollo Media. If you haven't done so, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe, checking out our podcast. But continuing on, as um, Andy just mentioned, Houston is going into the Big 12 potentially as early as 2023. And Coach Hogerson said it was a big deal in regards to recruiting. He mentioned that how some of these um, athletes wouldn't take Houston calls or they would take Houston calls and say they like the school, they like the city, but they want to play in a power five conference. And now that excuse is out the window going forward. And coach Doug Belk has some um, kind of echoed those same sentiments, but had some interesting comments about recruiting and um, the potential, the impact it will have for UH football, particularly in recruiting going forward for the big 12. Let's check out what he had to say. Uh, definitely. I think the move to the big 12 for the university of Houston in particular is, is, is huge, but for athletics and football, I think it gives uh, a different market and it gives a different brand. And I think uh, a lot of our competitors in recruiting have had that competitive advantage on us. And I think it evens the playing field, obviously being in the state of Texas, but most importantly, Houston uh, is one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in the country. So we have good relationships. We got to continue to build those relationships. But I think for us, it's going to continue to come with winning and, and come with, uh, you know, building those relationships. And I think it'll be, dividends in the future. And I think that we, you'll see more talent continue to come to the University of Houston, um, not only because of the Big 12, but what we're able to do, uh, not only in football, but in other sports. And, and uh, you know, me personally, I pride myself in player relationships and, and, uh, and you know, life after football. So all of those things uh, will be able to add to what we already sell. And I think it'll, it'll help the university and it'll put a, a quality um, – a better quality on the field consistently. And I think that we've had a lot of big 12 caliber players in our team, but I think it, it will help uh, continue to build depth and um, you either coaching good players or you got to recruit them or develop them. And it'll help both of those processes. Gotcha. A couple of things stand out from that clip down. First of all, again, Doug Buck reiterating that for him, one of the important things is that, player development obviously he said life after football and real quickly that kind of reminded me of the way that the men's basketball program kind of built yep. their culture and that's something that kelvin sampson has mentioned that he's kind of made a point of emphasis but also his assistant coaches like even talking about quentin grimes who obviously went in the first round this past draft he said how Juanis white was instrumental in his development just in terms of how kelvin would be kind of that I wouldn't say harsh, but he would be that kind of hard coach on him. And Quantus White would play that role of being the, a lot more kind of like good cop, bad cop. Exactly. Perfect. That's the perfect way to describe it and kind of build those relationships. That's how you do it. That's that's the first thing that came to mind when I heard that clip. But even then, also talking about um, just in terms of the Big 12, it's still a power five conference. And obviously, eventually, whenever Oklahoma and Texas move out to join the SEC, I think Houston will be in a very good advantage just in terms of, you know, when you look at the schools in the Big 12 that are from Texas, you got obviously Texas Tech, TCU, now Houston, and of course, Baylor still in that mix. I, honestly, when I look at those markets, obviously TCU relatively close to that Fort Worth, Dallas area market, but I think U of H will have an advantage, at least when it comes to a homegrown talent here in Houston, which is one of, like they mentioned, one of the federal grounds for high school football. But 
when you look at schools like UT and AM that are over in the SEC, honestly, one of the recruiting tools that might work in favor of Houston would be, you know, why do you need to go to any of those big schools when, not to discredit any of them, but it'll probably end up where they get pummeled whenever they have to play the Alabamas of the world in that conference, or not the Alabamas of the world, Alabama itself. There's only one Alabama. But or they could stay here in the Big 12 where they'll have a better chance of being competitive. Obviously, they'll have that uh, TV market, at least for, you know, for the two years and whatever happens after that, whether they get a new TV deal uh, in 2025. That, that's something that I feel could help Houston. What say you? Man, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And um, Houston He's a hot bid as far as from a recruiting standpoint. And so I think it's going to be a challenge. It's not going to be easy. Uh, I know it's in theory, it, it, it kind of sounds good moving into the Big 12. You should be able to get some of those recruits. But Texas is still on Texas as far as recruiting. Texas A&M is still going to be in Texas trying to get some of those recruits. The Alabamas, the Clemson, every top program is still going to recruit in the state of Texas trying to get those pro, um, trying to get those kids. And so, I mean, I, I, I like um, Houston's chances now better to get, be able to land some of those top recruits. And I, I think it'll both well. I think some of the points that you made are, are very valid versus going to a, a different school who may lose some of those games. But, I mean, you know, these players, they want to get to the league. A lot of them want to get to the leagues, and that's the NFL that is. And so – with the SEC being as good as it is um, producing the ton of talent to the next level that it has um, produced, I think it, it's definitely going to be a challenge. But Houston has produced um, talent and to the NFL of recent as well. And so moving into a bigger conference, continuing to develop like Coach um, Belk saying, once you get that talent, I mean, it, it, it says a lot that – it says a lot about um, the program and the coaches that you have in place. And so, I mean, I, I like um, that comparison as far as how you mentioned the basketball, because that's exactly what I was thinking as well. I mean, you have um, those assistant coaches who can kind of um, make those relationships, not only with the players, but with some of those high school, um, high school coaches, because it boils down to these high school coaches and, it's, it's some Houston alumni who is a, it's one at Shadow Creek who is producing a lot of talent here in the Houston area. It's one at Hightower. And so just having establishing those relationships, not only with the players, but throughout um, the city and the entire state as um, in the state of Texas, as far as high school coaches and programs goes, I think Houston is definitely going in the right direction. And I, I think they will start um, and continue to get some of those recruits. Like he said, he mentioned that he feels like Houston has had big 12 caliber talent players playing at Houston. Now it's about just continuing to get those type of players and developing them more. For sure. And I think one, one of the key factors that will play a big role in terms of how Houston and honestly the other schools in the big 12 uh, it kind of that, at least for the meantime, while if, if the college football, if 
playoff stays remains at four teams for for the next couple of seasons if the big 12 is still able to keep one of not necessarily an automatic bid but where it looks like if a team can go undefeated or or maybe lose a game and win the big 12 championship and be in that cottage playoff consistently i think that's something that'll be a lot more viable for the big 12 because like you mentioned obviously a lot of these players especially when you get into the five-star recruits that their goal is to eventually get to the NFL, that having that exposure, that national exposure, that you know, they have a shot at getting to the college football playoff. And that's something that's huge because, like I mentioned, going back to the point I made, if you go to UT or if you go to Texas A&M, chances are they probably won't reach the playoff just in terms of because they have to who they have to get through. They have to get past. You know, Alabama is always going to be at the top in the SEC. But then you get you mentioned some of the other teams, Georgia, LSU is always there, Old, Old Miss, and a couple of some of these other schools. It's going to be a lot more difficult if they go that route to get that type of exposure. And then you look at the Big 12, if you can set up and build a program that is consistently at top of the conference, losing only one game, which if, if that's the criteria or going undefeated and winning the Big 12 championship and going to that – college football playoff, I think that'll be a lot more uh, attractive to some of these five-star recruits that might want to choose or would prefer to stay home. And that's kind of going to transition into our next clip from Manny Nunnery, where he kind of talked a little bit about that, where he said that a lot, there are a lot of players, especially in the Houston area, that would love to stay home and just really well, something that has worked against Houston the past couple of years has just been that Houston is not in a Power 5 conference. Here's Manny Nunnery talking on that move to the Big 12. Obviously a local product here. You come from a well-respected program here in the city, and, and one of the guys that I know the staff was happy to keep home. Uh, what do you see moving forward, do you think, uh, with, with the Big 12 announcement? Do you feel like that will have an impact on recruiting as far as what your experience was? Right. I think that's going to have a very uh, huge impact for the city of Houston for its recruiting especially for the university because there's a lot of guys I know that would like to stay home, but they just feel like they don't want to stay home because the conference is not power five or whatever. But I feel like a lot of people are going to stay home because all the talent, everybody wants to come to Houston and still all the talent. I'm just one of the guys that want to stay home. So it'll be, it'll be good to just have everybody to stay home and play for the University of Houston. That's about it. Damn, kind of reiterating that point I made. You know, Manny Nunnery kind of touched on it where – Obviously, we mentioned that Houston is a hotbed for football recruits coming out of high school. And I feel like that Power 5 conference lower obviously is going to help Houston, not only in terms of uh, the new money that they're going to have coming in, but I feel like that's something that if used right, and obviously the, the big what if is that Houston has to be able to build a consistent program where they are battling for that top spot in the Big 12. Obviously, it's not going to help them a lot if they stay at the bottom of the conference. But if they can show improvement, be at the top, first of all, they have to do it while they're in the American Athletic Conference before they head over to the Big 12, at least in my opinion. That way they can have some good momentum going. It's not like they're going to be able to, first of all, move into a Power 5 conference and then immediately be able to, to flip the switch once they get there. That's something they have to start now. And it starts this season. We mentioned it. That's something that was so... It, it's kind of what sucked a lot of the air out of the season when you just saw the way they lost that second half to Texas Tech just in terms of really... Well, now is going to be one of the opponents that you face year in and year out, presumably against Texas Tech. But you just mention it whenever you get those big opponents that Houston, at least in the past few years, hasn't been able to 
really put on solid performances. And that's something that obviously recruits watch. They don't want to come to school if they're going to be at the bottom of a conference, even if it is a power five conference. Exactly. Exactly. And with Manny's comments, one thing it made me think about, because we just talked about players, uh, I mean, coaches recruiting and their relationships with high school coaches and X, Y, and Z. But what I just heard from Manny, it made me think about how important player recruiting other players and how important that is as well, especially being from within the state. And like he said, when he knows kids who are, are from the state of Texas that want to stay home, they just have it um, for the reason that he mentioned. And now that you can have players who could, can recruit, because just think of when Ed Oliver was um, decided to stay home and play for mm-hmm. Houston, who he became, he became one of um, Houston's biggest recruiters. He was, people wanted to come play with Ed. And, and so I, I think that's another thing to keep an eye on because Players do want to stay home. They do want their family members to be able to see them play. But not only that, they want the right exposure. And so it's a lot of key points that you made that I agree with, especially with Manny as well, that he said that players want to play um, at home, but they want to play inside um, a Power 5 conference. Now they'll have that opportunity. But like you said with Houston, I think they must continue this season putting together – um, a good enough program heading in the right direction going into the Big 12. You don't want to um, have a bad season this year going into the Big 12 being one of the bottom teams. And like I talked about um, after the loss to Texas Tech and how I didn't feel like a win against Texas Tech would have been a big win to me because Texas Tech, I don't view them as a team that's just remotely good. I feel like wins against Oklahoma like we had um, a couple years ago are big wins, and that's the standard that I'd hold Houston to, and I feel, I'm sure that they would they would agree with that. And so it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing to keep our eye on going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you talk about local recruits and kind of going back to what the men's basketball team was able to do. I mean, really, they have the – they have some of the best, they have the best players in the city of Houston. Tremont Mark, a couple of years ago, a couple of, yeah, a couple of years ago, he won the Guy V. Lewis Award, which is presumably given to the best high school player in, in basketball in the city. And then this upcoming season, they're going to have a Ramon Walker who won that same award for 2020. And obviously they had Quentin Grimes on the roster the past year who won the same award in 2018. And that's how you start be, being able to turn the corner, being able to get those local recruits and certainly building up and then being able to kind of attract more of the big names from outside of the city. And you're kind of seeing that transition from the men's basketball team. Now they're getting a lot more noise from really five-star athletes from all over the place, especially when you look at places like Florida and stuff like that. And that's something that football has to start. You kind, of, you kind of grow inside out, if that makes sense. You start local, and then yeah. you can able to branch out. Um, real quickly, before we wrap it up here for this episode, speaking of high recruits, we're going to transition over a little bit to, to the men's basketball side for kind of our news around uh, the UH athletics. But UH fans, be on the lookout tomorrow, or I guess today that you're listening Friday, September 17th, Terrence Arsenault is scheduled to make his announcement on where he will play 
uh, where he will commit to for the 2022-23 season. Terrence, Terrence Arsenal, remember that name. Uh, it seems like it's down to what I've heard, Houston and UNLV for his top schools. He's one of these five-star recruits who... Really, if Houston can land him, it'll be really huge, especially after the the noise that Memphis has been able to pull off this past few weeks ago with their big addition. Uh, Deon, do you have anything to add? Um, now, I mean, um, only thing I wanted to add real quickly is um, to one of your last point before you just mentioned um, the young man to keep an eye on is the way basketball has been able to do that is they been a winning program as well. And so football they have to win just like how the basketball program has won then they can continue to get some of those top talents but from the men i wouldn't i would not be surprised if the young man chooses uh um they already have one recruit who was able to have on um doing an interview and i believe he's in the class of 2023 and so I, i'm excited man um it's a good time to be a Cougar, whether it be whatever sport that you're playing, man. It's a lot of successful sporting programs at the University of Houston, and I'm expecting the basketball team to continue their dominance and continue to be a perennial NCAA tournament team and make deep runs. I mean, they have a Hall of Fame coach in Kelvin Sampson, man. I think he's one of the best leaders throughout Um college NCAA even I throw him into the pros as well and so I'm excited to see what's to come and hopefully this young man makes the right decision and the best decision for him for sure and that that's going to be T Arsenal 21 on Twitter uh his name will be in the description if you want to follow that and correction he uh, for rivals and 247 sports he's a four-star recruit but Obviously, that doesn't really matter much, especially in terms of once you get to the college level, especially as something that Calvin Sampson reiterates how he's not into the rankings. But for those that are, he's ranked 30th in the country, 10th at his position. He's 6'6", 180 pounds, and he's from Beaumont, Texas, so a bit of a local product. But he is set to make his announcement on Friday, September 17th. Just something to keep your eye on once again. That's T Arsenal 21 on Twitter. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to check out our coverage day on Dunlap on Twitter at Ayana's underscore five on Twitter. On Saturday, we'll be keeping you up to date. Once again, we'll have articles uh, previewing the matchup. And then, of course, we'll keep you coverage during the game, after the game with post-game reaction and whatever happens. We got you, Dayon. Take it away. Don't forget to follow Apollo HOU for blogs, merge video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content that I found anywhere else as well. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of Pod Slam and Jamma, covering your University of Houston Cougars.